0: Before we get started, I wanted to tell you about my new resource list I created just for you. As you know, I love resources, and for years I've been sending the same links to clients and friends and just wanted one easy place to put all my favorite products, brands, books, and educational resources. If you go to resourcedoula.com forward slash resources to sign up for my weekly newsletter, you'll receive access to this living list of all my top recommendations for parenting, birth, postpartum, menopause, and more. You can bookmark the page and keep coming back to it as it will be updated frequently as I add more and more resources. You'll also find a link for this page in the show notes for today's episode. I hope you enjoy it. Now, back to the show. On today's podcast, I chat with Kayla Head, a speech-language pathologist about tethered oral tissues and orofacial myofunctional disorders. You better believe I practiced how to say that. She talks about what to look for to determine if your kid has a tongue tie and what to do about it. Many of my clients have gone through tongue tie revisions with their kiddos, and it seems to be more prevalent now than ever, so I wanted to bring Kayla on to provide expert knowledge, myth-busting, and apparent perspective, because there's so much information on the internet that it can be overwhelming to sift through it all. I'm Natalie, and you're listening to the Resource Doula Podcast. Hello and welcome. I'm excited to have Kayla Head on the podcast today. We met through Instagram of all places and decided to get smoothie bowls one day and ended up talking for several hours about health, tethered oral tissues, speech, and a host of other things. It's clear she's passionate about all of this stuff. I always appreciate a fellow anatomy nerd. Kayla is a speech-language pathologist and transplant from the Pacific Northwest. She worked in the Washington State School System for two years before relocating to the Matsu Valley for a private practice job. After Kayla and her husband welcomed their first child in November 2019, feeding problems with their newborn led her down the rabbit hole of all things tongue-tie, airway, and orofacial myofunctional disorders. Through the challenges and journey with her own child, Kayla began to realize what a desperate need Alaska has for these services in these areas. As a result, she just opened her own practice, Little Loon Pediatric Therapy, in Wasilla, Alaska, specializing in speech, tethered oral tissues, and myofunctional therapy. Welcome, Kayla. Thanks for being here today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat some more.
0: I think we have a lot of things to talk about. (laughs) Let's just start. Let's just dive right in. Um, Can you talk about what part of your career you're most passionate about?
1: I would say um, looking at the problems that I'm seeing in kids from a more holistic standpoint. Um, I think uh, as I got into being a working adult, I think a lot of us kind of go through that um, that period of reassessing, I don't know, your health and your lifestyle, the way you eat, maybe things like that. And um, I made a lot of changes early on just in my general health as far as the way I eat and everything and uh, developed a more holistic mindset and um, that's not something I've been able to bring felt like I've been able to bring into speech pathology necessarily until all of this came up because, um, tethered oral tissues, myofunctional disorders, all of those things are really, uh, much more of a whole body issue. Um, and they really look past just traditional speech therapy of, well, this kid has trouble with sounds and, they can't make the sounds, so we'll teach them the sounds. We're looking more at like what is what is the reason for that? Because a lot of times there is a reason. So I would say most passionate about um, actually being able to play a part in finding some of those root causes for why these kids are having communication problems going on. So,
0: hmm. and that's definitely not typical or the typical approach that we see no. in <laughs> in medical care, especially therapies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the big, big things that I hear a lot when I mention tongue tie or other people mention tongue tie, I thought we could talk about this right at the beginning. Um, Some people say that tongue ties are like a fad or a scam or just like a really quick, easy way for providers to make money and they don't actually exist or they don't actually cause problems down the line. So is there any truth to that? What are your thoughts on this?
1: Well, I think this one is a little bit of a loaded topic, but um I think a lot of it is, you know, providers just don't know what they don't know or people just don't know what they don't know, and they haven't had um, those personal experiences or experiences with clients and things like that. Um, I think a lot of it uh, ties get a bad rap because there are bad practices out there where we don't really have the full picture. and so, you know, a mom goes for help and maybe the tie does get acknowledged, but they just get sent to a release provider. They do it and then nothing helps. And unfortunately, that was our story. Um, I had been seeking some help from a lactation consultant and she was the one who said, you know, I think maybe your baby has ties. And so we went to the dentist and got it done. They were like, oh, it'll fix everything. And and it didn't. Um, so I think that's part of where it gets a bad rap that, um, you know, they don't, they don't affect anything because there's problems you go and you don't really necessarily do the procedure well or, or don't do the pre and post that's really important. And then you come out and nothing's changed. So they go, Oh, well it must not have been the ties that were the problem. So I think that's Mm -hmm. one of the, one of the ways that the ties themselves, um, kind of get discounted as actually being a problem is we don't have a lot of good procedures in place for making sure people are set up for success before and after we just kind of go and do it and hope for the best. Um, So I think that's one of the ways that they kind of get um, discredited as actually being a problem. Um, I will say that uh, if you've ever seen pictures of uh, what we call an anterior tie that's to the very tip and of, like, someone trying to stick their tongue out or lift their tongue up with that severe of a tie, I don't know how you can deny that they exist. (laughs) (laughs) There's some pretty striking photos out there of, like, Holy cow, that's a tie. Um not all of them are super obvious and I think that's also another place where it becomes more difficult to discern like well is there really a tie going on here? Is it really affecting anything? But I think a lot of times too we suggest well maybe there's a tie and then someone who maybe doesn't have as much education about the tie says, "Oh no, it's fine or that doesn't affect anything." And so we think, okay, well, they don't give an alternative explanation as to Mm -hmm. what might be causing some of the problems. So they kind of discount that that could be the source of the issue, or at least a factor, but then they don't provide some other explanation as to, well, why is it, what's going on then? (laughs)
0: There's a lot wrapped up in that,
1: but. Yeah. Yeah. thoughts on that. Yeah.
0: So you mentioned that your baby had some feeding issues, but what kind of other problems can you typically see from a tongue tie if there, if there are ties or or other than tongue ties?
1: So yeah, her story was an interesting one because we did, there are a lot of stories of moms who, who go through a lot of providers before they have some like knowledge that that might be the problem. So we were really fortunate that that was pointed out very early on. Um, We just, weren't one of those lucky ones who had the procedure done and then everything was smooth sailing, unfortunately. So, um, you know, we did a lot of, we refer to as body work. So we ended up going to some chiropractic care, some craniosacral therapy with an occupational therapist, a lot of things like that, because there were other things at play. She had some torticollis going on. Um, and all of those can complicate how, uh, how well the procedure goes, how well they recover from it, heal from it. Um, but as I kind of alluded to before, there's just not a lot of good procedures in place to make sure you know you really get good help ahead of time. And then when you're ready, go in for the procedure and then get that follow-up help too to really make it a nice, more smooth, uh continuous process and have that support throughout. Um, but anyway, so she's had a lot of you know care and involvement just because I dove right in and you know educated myself as much as I could. And so now, for example, the kid is two and a half almost, and she is incredibly um, articulate, it, amazing language skills. Um, she eats anything and everything. Um, like we don't have the obvious problems at this point of feeding and speech. But she still uh, is a restless sleeper. She wakes up with crazy bedhead every morning because she just tosses and turns all night. She still wakes up during the night. She still sucks her thumb. Her teeth are crowded. So, you know, she doesn't have any of those obvious problems, but some of those more, um, not necessarily even subtle, but less recognized issues that are more related to airway and the whole development of um, the oral facial complex where the palate is high, the teeth are crowded, and we're just not getting great airway development. So that's one of the biggest other areas um, I think that doesn't go as well noticed or recognized. Speech and feeding tend to be the more obvious ones that people hear about.
0: Right, right. I remember you talking about this when we first met up and my mind was blown that sleeping issues could be related to tethered oral tissues. So could you talk a little bit more about specifics to look for if a parent is concerned about their child? and has noticed the bedhead, or waking up, or, you know, sucking their thumb longer than anticipated, what should they be looking for, or concerned about, potentially?
1: Sure. So, I mean, those are definitely some of your red flags. Um, Being tired, you know, even when they've slept all night, needing excess sleep, um, those are some other red flags that you might see. And, you know, it's a concern because, we might be getting enough hours of sleep, you know, we sleep like eight to six, seven, whatever, you know, might get enough hours numerically, but if the quality of that sleep is not good, um, you know, it's, it's really not benefiting us as much. And so you might see, um, one of the crazy things is that a lot of times these sleep disorders can be misdiagnosed for ADD, ADHD, um, because the body mm-hmm. is not getting that restful sleep. And so it's like compensating by being in overdrive all during the day to just to try and stay awake and keep alert because it's not getting that rest it needs overnight. Um, so that's a, a one way it might manifest. Um, we might see mouth breathing. If there's mouth breathing going on during the day, um, that's often going on at night as well. Snoring, um, Those are some other signs too. And I know that sometimes the The understanding of where the connection might be is not there. So just as a quick aside, particularly if there's a tongue tie, um, what happens is the tongue doesn't rest on the roof of the mouth like it's supposed to. And so the roof of the mouth is um, referred to it as your palate. It's also the floor of your nasal cavity. So if that is not forming wide like it should, uh, it can be more narrow and it's actually impeding your nasal cavity. So your no- ability to nasal breathe. Um, and it's just the, the general trajectory of growth tends to be more downward rather than again, broad and forward. So your airway is just not developing, um, as largely as it should. So you think about like different straw sizes, right? Like maybe your airway is the size of those tiny little coffee straws instead of a boba, um, tea straw, right? And how much easier it's going to be for you to breathe through that Mm -hmm. large straw versus that small straw.
0: Okay. So, does that relate to like more sinus infections or more runny noses? Would you see it in that
1: way at all? It absolutely can. Yeah. There's a lot of kids who yeah, will be congested a lot, will get sick a lot more, um, will have recurring ear ear infections, sometimes need pressure equalizing tubes placed because you're right, all of that ends up being connected, you know, if your sinus cavity because your mouth is not forming correctly, your sinus cavity is not forming correctly, then anything related to sinuses, yes, yeah, is, is fair game to have some more issues too, unfortunately.
0: Wow. Okay. And hearing, yeah. with the ear infections, hearing probably plays into that as well, right?
1: It absolutely can be. Yeah. If um, the recurrent ear infections uh, can be from that, they can also be from a uh, problems with the swallow a lot of times, um, in an oral facial myofunctional disorder. So tongue ties are, they fall under the larger umbrella of of oral facial myofunctional disorders. And, um, there's typically something abnormal with the swallow going on and, when you don't have a proper swallow you're not building the correct pressure that helps flush out the fluid of your ears and in those tubes and drain them so you think about when you go on a plane and your ears pop and that's like your eustachian tubes opening up um there tends to be dysfunction with that when you don't have a proper swallow and so that's that that drainage isn't happening regularly like it needs to and so you'll get that fluid buildup the ear infections, and then people will get tubes placed to help with that drainage issue.
0: Wow. Wow. You should see me over here. My brain is like going a million miles an hour. (laughs) This is so fascinating. So, okay. One of the things I wanted to go back to um, with, you mentioned torticollis and if you could provide a Mm -hmm. definition of torticollis and how that might be Related to the more holistic picture of tethered oral tissues, that would be great.
1: Yeah, so um, I am not a great person to provide an official di- or, uh, definition. Excuse me of torticollis, just because I'm an SLP and that's uh, OTPT. But essentially, it's like something. I'm going to do it, a really simplistic explanation. Something is locked up, you know, muscle wise or whatever, and so babies might not be able to turn their head as far to one way, or they might be a little bit stuck. Their head might be a little bit stuck in a particular position. So um, I apologize to any OTs or PTs if, if that's a terrible <laughs> definition, but, but just simplistically from my understanding, that's generally what it is. And so my daughter had um, where she just couldn't turn her head to one side quite as far as the other. Um, so she'd get kind of like locked up or she just couldn't look as far that way. So, the really interesting thing about it as she got older, um, you know, we got that addressed and taken care of. um, But it was her right side that she had an issue turning to. And then when she started to walk, she had this very briefly, very short period of time, had this almost this little gimp in her right foot when she walked, her right leg. And when we were, uh, you know, moving through solids, foods, and things like that, she had an issue chewing on her right. Side, so mm. there was this common line of issues down her right side. Well, she had her tongue tie released a couple times when she was really young, and then um, a little over a year old, she ended up getting her buckle ties released, which are her which are your cheeks and um, and her lip all at the same time. And her right buckle tie was significantly tighter than the left. So all of those issues that ran down her right side. Um, And she had a right buckle tie that was particularly tight. So we had it released and it was pretty miraculous because two weeks, within two weeks, um, her face looked different. Like she just didn't carry as much facial tension. You could see a difference in pictures. We had family members comment too. And, um, and her chewing issues significantly improved. Wow. (laughs) It was wild. I was going to say, as far as tying it to ties overall, Um, you know, because we are all connected, if you have tension caused by ties, um, especially if they're, you know, it's really more one-sided like that, you can see through the body where there is tension. There are a lot of babies who will be, um, just like really stiff, like newborns are supposed to be, you know, snuggly and kind of pliable and and (laughs) there'll be newborns who are real stiff because they, their, their mouth is tight and tense from those ties and it, tenses up everything else throughout their body. Um, And some of that can be related to just positioning in utero and, um, you know, birth trauma and things like that. Tension can absolutely come from there. It does not always come from ties, but it's not the least bit uncommon to see babies who are tied also have excessive tension um, in their bodies.
0: That reminds me a lot of times we talk about like for women in labor, don't clench your jaw. Try to relax it as much as possible mm. and so, because the tension in your jaw creates more tension in your pelvic floor. And so the more you can release your shoulders too, I mean, it's it's all connected, but that makes a lot of sense yeah. comparing it to that.
1: Well, we could like talk about, like if we want to talk about adults. I've heard that women had easier labor after they got their tongue ties released. In, like, No all way. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, I've read a few stories. So I'll be really interested to see how my second goes. But I've also been doing chiropractic care and stuff and, whatnot, you know, differently. So it'll be hard. could you talk a little bit about your personal tongue tie release story? Yeah. So I found out I, I had this light bulb go off after I found out that my daughter was tied that, oh my goodness. I think I'm tied too. And these <laughs> things that I didn't really think were a big deal in my life, there's just kind of one of those like, well, that's just how I am, or this is how my life is, whatever. Kind of became like, wait, maybe this, maybe there's an actual reason for it. Um, I, I had a lot of the um, stereotypical or common signs of uh, having had a tongue tie and or oral facial myofunctional disorder um, growing up that, People sometimes realize once they're an adult. So I had, um, had teeth pulled. They were just primary teeth, baby teeth. Um, but I did have teeth pulled to quote unquote make room for my adult teeth. When I was little, I had uh headgear. I had braces. Uh, I still have a permanent retainer in my bottom. You know, uh, adhered to my bottom teeth. Um, I've always had a lot of like upper body, neck, shoulder tension, um, digestive issues, um, all these things that I started, as I started to learn more, I was like, I think I'm tied too. And so I decided to pursue a release for myself and I went through myofunctional therapy. Um, I did it all except the initial evaluation virtually with um, Katie at Midnight Sun Myofunctional Therapy. She's up in Fairbanks and she's awesome. And um, yeah, so we did the pre-op work. And it was amazing to learn all the ways I couldn't move my tongue. And <laughs> that you can actually make it sore because it is a muscle. And um, and then I went down to uh, Washington where we're from. Um, I chose a provider down there to do my release. Um, so it was... It was definitely uh, an experience that I am glad I did. I did not. I didn't feel like I had crippling symptoms like some people do. Some people, you know, are have terrible TMJ and they just they just have symptoms that impact their life daily. And I didn't feel like that was something that I had. Um, So I don't necessarily feel like it absolutely altered my life, but there were absolutely differences that I saw afterward. Um, I felt a release of tension during the procedure. Actually, I felt more relaxed and I feel like I've had better, um, relaxation in my body since the procedure. One of the things that I noticed afterward, it took a few months before it happened, but I realized I didn't cough on my water all the time anymore. (laughs) Like it happened. And I was like, I haven't actually done that for months now. Wow. (laughs) But like again, things that aren't normal that you don't really realize aren't normal until you start realizing there might actually be a reason for them. So,
0: so choking on your own spit all the time is not normal. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> hmm. Okay. <laughs> so I've heard a lot of people, including a lot of professionals, say that if you can stick your tongue out, you don't have a tongue tie. So is there like a, is there a better determining factor of, you know, whether or not someone has a tongue tie to kind of start the assessment process? Because I think a lot of people listening to this are going to check their kids out, check themselves out and see if they can tell if they're, they have a tongue tie. So what would you, how would you determine that? Hey, it's Natalie. If you've been around here long enough, you know I love resources, and I'm really excited about this brand new platform brought to you by pregnancy-focused chiropractor and host of the Informed Pregnancy podcast, Dr. Elliot Berlin. It features everything from iconic birth films like The Business of Being Born and Orgasmic Birth to inspiring independent films, series, workshops, and more from creators around the globe. In addition to prenatal yoga and fitness, relationship and parenting advice, and comedy, IP Plus features multiple original informed pregnancy productions like the uplifting interview series Empowered Mama and the handy pregnancy and parenting book reviews series Baby Book Nook. Right now, listeners of the Resource Doula podcast can receive an entire month free when they use the code TNFREEMONTH it's all one word, the letter T, the letter N, and then the words free month to sign up for a monthly subscription at informedpregnancy.tv. Now back to the show.
1: Um, I would say, first off, trust your gut as far as a parent who's wondering about their child. I mean, if you look back and you think, wow, you know, we had feeding problems, we had this, we had that, um, and I didn't really think much of it, or I was told not to worry, or I was told they would grow out of it, don't necessarily second-guess yourself, because that that parent gut feeling, it absolutely means something. Um, so that's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I would say is, um, so as far as being able to stick your tongue out, I mentioned... Um, a severe anterior what we call anterior tie. So that's when like the tongue is tethered all the way to the tip and like you really can't even raise it. That sort of thing, you may not be able to stick your tongue out, but like I had I could stick my tongue out just fine. The the key about um the the range of motion of the tongue is not always just out. Sure, that's an important skill for being able to lick your ice cream cone and that sort of thing. Clear your lips, you know, <laughs> so you're not quite as messy of an eater, but we really need to be able to elevate our tongue and move it side to side as well. So when you're eating, it's, this is one thing I didn't know. Um, that wasn't normal. <laughs> well, you're supposed to move your food side to side with your tongue. Um, but I I didn't do that. My, my swallowing was another thing that I realized was not very normal once I um, started learning more and going through myofunctional therapy. Um, but you're supposed to what we call lateralize or move your food side to side. So your tongue has to have the range of motion to be able to do that. And you've got to be able to elevate because when you swallow, your tongue is actually supposed to go up behind your teeth and it does this wave like motion to propel your food backward for your swallow. Um, but we also need to be able to elevate it to make certain speech sounds, to be able to put it in the proper rest posture up on the palate where it's supposed to live, So, um, yes, you should be able to stick your tongue out, but you can often stick your tongue out even if you are tied when you don't have, um, that posterior or back portion of your tongue doesn't have good range of motion. That's, that's more arguably more important and the bigger, um, plane of movement that we're concerned about when we're looking for a tie. So, okay. So
0: when I'm just here like listening or resting, not talking, not swallowing, not eating, my entire tongue should be resting on the roof of my mouth.
1: Hmm. It should. Indeed. I know. <laughs> Another thing I learned. Wait, it's not supposed to touch the back of my teeth. Okay. That's what I figured out too.
0: Now I'm being very self aware of where my tongue is in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so when we first met, we also talked about gag reflex and the connection between maybe a hypersensitive or a hyposensitive gag reflex in kids or adults, maybe who have had issues with tethered tissues. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Sure. So sometimes, sometimes a gag reflex is really more sensory based, but the sensory and and structural, you know, relationship is is there throughout our whole body. So in someone who has a hypersensitive gag reflex, there might be issues where their tongue has not been making contact with the back of their mouth very much because they don't have a proper swallow. Their tongue doesn't rest where it's supposed to. And maybe they don't have that range of motion of the back of their tongue. So it's really not been making a lot of contact back, th- back there to help desensitize that sensory aspect um, of the mouth. And so then you get, you know, food back there, or you get something back there that your mouth's not used to having something back there. And so your gag reflex, it will be a lot more sensitive. Um, hyposensitivity is probably not going to be so much related to, um, to that sort of issue as it is more the sensory component, something being a little bit more off with the sensory system. Okay. And if
0: you can't move your tongue laterally, side to side, you probably have more difficulty kind of organizing those muscles, maybe in and feeling okay with and having your nervous system being okay with things in your mouth. Is that correct?
1: <laughs> I think that yeah, I think that's definitely a fair statement. I mean, our sensory system develops through exposure, right? So if you don't have exposure to certain movements, certain feelings, things like that, yeah, your body's going <laughs> to be a little more freaked out by those when they when they do occur. So yeah, I definitely think that's a a fair statement. Okay.
0: What about kids who take huge bites of things?
1: Oh man, that is the one thing I will say. I mentioned my daughter eats a variety of foods and textures. I don't actually eat anything, but the kid is a stuffer still. (laughs) And um, it's a little bit counterintuitive because you would think that if someone has difficulty managing their food, they maybe take smaller amounts of food so that they can just focus on managing that little bit. But we actually tend to see the opposite. So A larger quantity of food, when your tongue doesn't have good range of motion and coordination, tends to actually be easier to manage. So kids will stuff as a compensatory measure.
0: Hmm. Okay. So that's another sign to look out for as a parent.
1: Yes. And so um, so are, if we're talking about eating, so are things like noisy and messy eating, you know, like chew with your mouth closed or, you know... Be more careful when you eat things like that. That those may not just be the poor kid is, you know, in a rush to eat and, and trying to get out the door. It really might be they're they're trying and they're just struggling because mm-hmm. they don't have that um, that ability to manage their food well. Okay. So if somebody has
0: a baby who had a tongue tie they identified that and they had a release when they were really young but they're still seeing some of these issues crop up later in life maybe like you know two years old three years old is it appropriate to get them released again what are the strategies that you recommend to help improve their symptoms with this and yeah what would you what would you recommend to parents
1: So it's not entirely uncommon, especially for the babies who ended up having a release when they were little and weren't able to nurse successfully anyway um, to end up having problems later. And even the babies that did go on to nurse successfully, they can have problems crop up later when they transition to solids or when they start talking, things like that. Um, It's definitely appropriate if there is still restriction to have another release done it's unfortunately not uncommon. I wish that, you know, we had the procedures in place for it to be one and done for every kid that needed it. But again, I think in large part, because there isn't a good system in place that that's not always the case. Um, But it's really important to make sure, especially with older kids, it's important for babies too, but especially for older kids to make sure that they are seeing an appropriate professional before and after. So that might be an SLP. It might be an occupational therapist. Um, generally, it, it could be a myofunctional therapist if it's someone who's also an SLP or an OT. Um, myofunctional therapy, traditional myofunctional therapy is done with kids who are about four and older because myofunctional therapy is uh, following directions to complete exercises. So obviously, mm-hmm. littler kids aren't going to be able to follow through with a program like that. So for those younger kiddos, it's really someone who's, who's again, can be a myofunctional therapist in addition, but typically an SLP or an OT who has some training in feeding, um, especially as it relates to those oral structures and development, um, because you can do a lot of tasks that are going to help with their strength and coordination through feeding. So you can do focused chewing, you can use tools like chewy tubes or bite blocks, and there's different ways to work on their oral function without having to say, okay, I want you to move your tongue side to side, or, you know, do these things that they may or may not be able or willing to do Mm -hmm. at that age. Okay.
0: And with the pre and post rehab, so prehab and, and post-op therapy, why, why is that not standard? (laughs) Why is that not standard? And why is it important to do it? (laughs)
1: A great question. Cause like, if you think about it from other medical perspectives, right. And granted, this is an injury example. However, like say you need to have knee surgery. You don't just like go have your knee surgery and call it good. Right. Like that's <laughs> not typical. You probably are going to get a baseline going in ahead of time to see a PT. You know, they're going to, if they think you might be able to benefit from some therapy ahead of time, they'll do some therapy. And then when they're ready, they're going to send you to the operation, <laughs> have it mm-hmm. done. And they're going to follow up with you and, and get you rehabilitated, right? So it's so standard in so many other situations and practices. And yet you're right. There is no procedure in place. And I don't really know why. I don't really understand in some ways, because when we think about it so simplistically and logically, we're like, well, yeah, everybody has a procedure in place for that, Um that sort of thing, but it's, it's really not. And I think a lot of it is just lack of education and people kind of finding out after the fact, um, that it could have been beneficial. Um, that prehab can be so important because the practitioner that you're working with, the therapist, you know, whether it's a lactation consultant or an occupational therapist or a speech therapist can get a baseline of where you're at. What are the symptoms going on? What does the tongue function look like right now? How is their mouth functioning? We can get a baseline. And then we can also help parents feel more confident and ready for the procedure when it's time. Um, you know, there's unfortunate stories of parents who are like, My kid had the procedure done and they're in they've been inconsolable for days and I can't get the wound care done because they won't let me in their mouth. And then they, you know, have oral aversion and, and all of these problems that could have been lessened, or at least they could have had a support system in place to help negate the potential for those. Hmm. So that's part of why that prehab is really important. Um, And also just, you know, if, especially if they are a little bit on the older side, there, there are exercises to do, you know, myofunctional therapy or feeding therapy. And even in babies too, where you can get them as far as you can, um, as far as their function to get them ready for that procedure. So maximizing that function beforehand, seeing what we can get out of them, and then going ahead with the procedure. And then, yeah, of course that follow-up to, you know, okay, well now we've got that range of motion that we've been missing. Where can we go from here? We can continue building on that strength, that coordination, all that stuff that we worked on beforehand and, um, you know, work toward optimal normalized function. And the mouth is, it heals so
0: quickly. But I would imagine you have to be really diligent with your post-op therapy to make a difference.
1: Yes, it absolutely does. And that's another thing that can be a complication that people face too is like, well, my kid fought me so I couldn't do the aftercare, couldn't get any compliance. And then, yeah, it can just reattach, unfortunately. And that can, you know, end up leading to the need for another release. We call it the second release or third, you know, successive releases we call a revision down the road.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So where would someone go to find an appropriate provider for a revision or um, therapy in general? Would they search for a myofunctional therapist? Where would you send people?
1: Sometimes it takes some digging. It really depends where you're located. Sometimes if there is a good system in place, there can be release providers. So typically a dentist, sometimes an ENT, who does have a good relationship with a myofunctional therapist, a lactation consultants, has a good network built up where they can recommend that you go first. And that's ideally who you find as someone who says, hey, you know, I recognize the importance of pre and post-op therapy. I, I really need you to go see this person or see someone first um, before we just jump right into it. That's someone who really has a more complete picture of that important process. Um, So sometimes the release providers themselves can be a good source. Sometimes you just got to call around and ask if there's someone with experience, um, you know, at a a speech clinic, at an occupational therapy clinic, um, with lactation consultants. Um, Because while all of these providers do have some education in general about the mouth and its function the vast majority don't have specialized training. I honestly don't even remember what we learned in graduate school very much about anything related to oral facial myofunctional disorders. It really is its own, and tethered oral tissue, it really is its own specialized track. Um, And if, if someone hasn't taken more continuing education on their own in that area, they may or may not be as prepared to help with it because it, there is just so much to it.
0: <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. It reminds me of women's health. <laughs> it's very similar in that you have to find the right provider. And when you have a baby, they don't typically send you to PT afterwards, but that is what should happen. Yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of similarities that I'm, I'm seeing there. Um, okay. I have another question. Um, if a provider or a parent determines that a baby does have a tongue tie or other tethered oral tissues, should they seek a release if there seems to be no apparent problems? Like, baby's gaining weight, baby's nursing just fine, or taking a bottle just fine. Um, yeah, should they decide to release it? I've also heard um, people say, oh yeah, my provider just said like the the lip tie will just break eventually when they fall on their face. Yeah. So what do you have to say to <laughs> to those things?
1: First off, the lip tie thing makes me really sad because why are we saying a kid sh- we should just wait till a kid falls and hurts their face versus? <laughs> <happens. laughs> I mean that one kind of makes me sad, but I've I've heard that many times too. Like they'll just break it on their own. Like, oh, ouch, poor kid. Yeah. Um but uh we we really overall want to take um, the stance of looking at the symptoms. So it can be a little bit tricky because weight gain is a factor, of course. Um, But then when we say like nursing fine or taking a bottle fine, I think there's a lot of subjectivity in that. Because especially for first-time parents, they might not have any idea what feeding is actually supposed to look like. So when they are like, I've been feeding my baby around the clock for the last three months and people are like, they're just cluster feeding still, like knowing the differences. And again, this is more the job of a lactation consultant than, or, you know, someone who has specific breastfeeding training, but, you know, being able to pick out those nuances of this is normal baby behavior. And like, yes, your baby's doing okay, but like, this isn't actually how feeding is supposed to look. Um, I had a friend who, whose baby was, was kind of along those lines. Like he was gaining weight. Okay. Um, but like they were spending so much time feeding him and people were like, Oh, he'll get faster as he gets older or, you know, he'll outgrow it and things like that. And, And yeah, they may or may not, but he's also tied (laughs) Um, and just not an efficient eater because of that. So I think that's um, a situation where if you have any suspicions at all and feel like, I really don't know if this is normal, getting in with someone who who can tell you if it's normal um, or not because they have that advanced training can be really helpful. Okay.
0: And then determining from there whether or not they seek out a release or just therapy on its own, kind of dependent, like, mm-hmm. case-by-case situation?
1: I would agree <sighs> that it definitely is on a case-by-case basis um, because, you know, there and there really may not be any issues at the time with feeding or anything like that. And so sometimes it is, you know, hey, we do have pretty good function. We don't have any major symptoms. Maybe we are going to wait and, you know, as we transition to solids, if there's a problem, then we're going to revisit it, something like that. Um, I think it's hard because different providers also have different mindsets about it. Having had issues with my own kid, I'm like, let's just release everything. (laughs) Because I wish I would have, you know, I kind of knew she had buckle ties really early on, but those are a lot more controversial and a lot of providers won't address them. Um, But we never got to successfully nurse and I, have wondered you know it's not something I try to dwell on of course at this point but it's Mm -hmm. something I have many times wondered if we would have gotten those released when she was still really little like would that have been the last piece that was really missing because we did do so much work to try and make it work and it she just never got there Um, so, so I, I, I can admit that I am totally of the bias of like, I lean toward just if it's there, get rid of it. If Mm -hmm. if we're ready, you know, if we've done the the proper work to prepare for it. Um, but you know, there are people who are more conservative and everybody's different. So.
0: Okay. Now my exercise physiology brain goes to fascial tension throughout the body. Like you talked about your daughter had right-sided tightness, So is there any evidence that tethered oral tissues, and maybe not, maybe not officially studied, but in your own practice too, um, that tethered oral tissues relate to milestone developmental issues, like slower to develop, or maybe we see more torticollis or more one-sided
1: compensations? Have you seen that? Mm Mm-hmm. So there is not a lot of solid research, drawing a direct connection. But if for a lot of people, if you talk to individual parents, or providers, you know, anecdotally, there's a lot um, that people see with, um, you know, my baby had torticollis and had oral ties, or there are a lot of parents who will report their kids with ties had delayed milestones or um they struggle with body tension and things like that so and providers too the ones that work with a lot of young children and babies on a frequent basis they will they will definitely often state that they see a common correlation um but of course correlation and causation are are different so there's not mm-hmm. a whole lot of solid research at this point um, on on true causation, but the correlation is is really common in those providers and even in parents um, who have kids with ties. It's seen a lot.
0: This makes me think of everybody who I work with who. Cannot release their shoulders, or they chronically have headaches or neck tension. Or, like I do a lot of, um, I do a lot of natural movement with my clients, like crawling on the floor, ro- rolling over, just like baby movements, <laughs> and then like one sided mm-hmm. get ups off the floor, like a a kneeling to stand can be smooth and easy on one side, and then the other side is problematic. It's awkward and clunky and. Um, takes a lot of thought. So I just wonder, like my mm-hmm. brain is going, maybe they have a one-sided <laughs> tethered oral tissue issue, or they have um, a tongue tie that never got addressed when they were younger.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely possible. And this is way too much of a rabbit hole to start jumping down. <laughs> but another connected one is retained primitive reflexes. Um, oh my gosh. And- this reflexes, is also something I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, reflexes, right, integrate with movement. And so you can see the co- correlation of, okay, you have a tied baby who also has tension and um, difficulty with certain movement, maybe because of that tension. And then because they can't complete those movements, then their reflexes aren't integrated as well. And so you see this like whole, you know, connection of these Kids with ties and all the the issues that they can have result from them when they aren't addressed.
0: (laughs) So, like, for example, the Moro reflex, like the startle reflex. Have you seen any connection with that in your own practice? Because I hear that's the one I hear most about.
1: I, I don't have enough education in primitive r- retained reflexes to be able to answer that I it's an area that is like next on, <laughs> on my list of um, wanting to be able to educate myself more on and take continuing education on to integrate more holistically because I know that it has a part in even in, even in these even kids who don't have ties it's an issue for a lot of kids in general. Um, and I, I would like to be able to integrate that into my practice too, but, um, I just am not there yet for, as far as my, um, <laughs> continuing education and whatnot. I took one, one education course and it, it piqued my interest, but I ha- I have to temper my, um, eagerness and take things <laughs> one step at a time. So
0: <laughs> well, let me know when you do, cause I'm pretty convinced I have not only a tongue
1: tie, but also a
0: retained startle reflex. <laughs>
1: Oh, I'm sure I have all sorts of retained reflexes. I have issues with, like, motion sickness and stuff like that. And, yeah, I'm sure there's stuff that I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's that's me.
0: <laughs> it's dangerous being in these fields because you tend to do yeah. more research than the average person and decide that you probably know oh, yeah. everything that you're looking at. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. But I think that goes along with um, – like I mentioned for my daughter, you know, people who would see her and interact with her now would be like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with this kid. And there's nothing quote unquote wrong with her. Um, you know, like I said, but and people assuming that because she speaks so well and she eats fine and she's super interactive and charming and she's just a blast. But um, again, there's nothing wrong with her, but I know that there are things about her that are not developing optimally. And when you know, why would you not want to do something about it? You know, Mm -hmm. you, you just, you strive to be, strive to be better (laughs) or to, you know, help as much as you can when you, when you know,
0: when we learn more, we do better with what we know. But also that goes the same, same way in reverse. We can't get down on ourselves for not doing something that we didn't know about, previously. So giving yourself grace about, you know, whatever experience that may have led you in your journey to this point. So like, not that you did anything wrong. You just, you just didn't know yet. So we can improve as we learn.
1: Absolutely. Yes, that is an excellent point. I would agree with that wholeheartedly.
0: What kind of resources are your favorites for someone who would like to do more research on this topic and kind of look into options, read books or websites, any of that? What would you recommend?
1: Yeah, so um, there are a couple of prominent um, release providers that a lot of people know about. Uh, Dr. Gahari is a, a name that people may hear. He's down in Portland, Oregon, and he's an ENT. Um, Dr. Baxter is uh, at the Alabama Tongue Tie Center. He's a dentist. Uh, Dr. Kotlow is over on the East Coast, uh, Northeast somewhere, I believe. So there are some prominent providers' names, and they all have websites, um, you know, most of them containing some good resources. And, um, there, so they're great resources. There's some speech language pathologists, some lactation consultants. Um, I do have a small resource page on my website, um, littleloonpediatrictherapy.com. Um, it's a page called resources and education. It has links to their websites. Um, it also has a list of some books, um, because as far as the, uh, authors, there's kind of a variety of, of people and subjects that are are all connected. Some of them are specifically about ties, some of them about airway, sleep. Um, because again, we, as we've talked about, so much of that is connected. And so it's, it's mm-hmm. hard to just be like, well, just look at this one topic because then you'll end up finding out that there are three other connected topics about it too.
0: <laughs> just like everything in health, I think. <laughs> health and
1: wellness. Oh yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. And I will link all of the the resources that you mentioned in the show notes for the episode too. So it will be easy access for everybody. Um, so you mentioned your website. the Listeners can find you there. Do you have any social media pages? What services do you offer? And how would someone book with you?
1: So I do have a Facebook page too. It's not super active yet. I definitely have been in the transitional phases um, but you can find, um, little loon pediatric therapy on Facebook. Um, I have an email address, Kayla at littleloontherapy therapy.com. That's the best way or to, to give me a call, which is also on my website, um, to book. Um, but basically, uh, I do an initial call with a parent and just kind of get an idea, you know, is this something that sounds like it's along the lines of a myofunctional disorder um, ties, that sort of thing. A lot of times parents, um, primarily have concerns about speech. Um, but, uh, an old, it's a little bit of an older study at this point, but there was a study done that found that about 80% of kids who have a speech disorder actually have an underlying oral facial myofunctional disorder to go with it. What? So there is actually a, yeah, so that, that's a, that's a huge number. It um, is so, the vast majority of the time when there is a speech issue going on, there is a a reason for it that's not just you know maybe neurological or whatever there's a structural issue there's there's something developmentally um in the mouth that has that has not quite been optimal and has contributed to um there being a speech problem so um so I'll ask some questions generally in that phone conversation to see if we're kind of a good fit and then um we schedule an interview, or excuse me, not an interview. We schedule an evaluation and um, go over the findings and jump in from there. So,
0: And you are in Wasilla, so locals can find you there. Um, if other people listening who do not live in Alaska want to work with you or have any e- evaluation with you, is that something that you offer as well?
1: I do not at this time because um, speech language pathologists, in order to be able to offer um, teletherapy to people in other states, have to also be licensed in that state. So I'd have to be licensed in whatever mm, state okay. someone was in. So not at this time.
0: Okay. They, they could definitely email you or call you and get a recommendation for another provider in their own state, though.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm more than happy to try and help send people in the right direction. I just am not directly working with people for evaluations and therapy who are out of state.
0: That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. One of my favorite questions to ask everybody who comes on the show is what is your number one piece of advice for our listeners? What do you want everyone to know?
1: I would say trust your gut and don't be afraid to be an advocate whether that is for your own child or, or if it is for yourself, because as I mentioned before, I feel like that parent gut instinct really is, is right a lot more of the time than we give it credit mm-hmm. for. And we want to be inclined to trust the professionals that we see. And we should to an extent, but there's also nothing wrong with recognizing that our pediatricians, our speech therapists, our whoever we're seeing are human and we don't know everything. And sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And there is nothing wrong with you taking it upon yourself to ask more questions, to do your own research and really push for and advocate for what you feel like your child needs or that you need for that matter. Um, so I, those would be my two biggest pieces of advice are to, to trust your instincts and don't be afraid to be an advocate and do your research to, to push for what you feel like you or your child needs.
0: Awesome. I think advocacy for your own health is the theme from every single guest I've had on. Uh, so thank you for echoing that again. Um, okay. Last question. What is your favorite wellness habit that you incorporate into your own daily life? <laughs> and it can be anything. It doesn't have oh, to be an official
1: <laughs> wellness habit. I would say trying to find time to do something that I enjoy every day that is not related to like work or exercise or like true what we think of as stereotypical health. So for example, I like to knit and I do like to be crafty sometimes. So even just finding a little bit of time at the end of the day, right before bed to just like knit a little bit and work on a project and just be able to have that little bit of time doing the something that I enjoy doing that's not related to anything that I have to get done or um, feel like I should get done or anything like that.
0: I like that. I've heard it said that if you work with your mind, which you do, you work with your mind and your hands, but if you primarily work with your mind, you should mm-hmm. rest with your hands and the opposite mm. is true as well. And I think that's quite true in a lot of instances. So oh. kind of Interesting.
1: fun thing. I can definitely see. Yeah. Yeah. I like that too. Yeah. Well, Kayla, thank you so
0: much for being here today and, talking about all of these things. We covered a lot, and I think a lot of listeners will have further questions for you. So expect phone calls and emails <laughs> following this episode. <laughs> I really appreciate the work that you're doing in an area that where people are talking a lot, but may not necessarily have the education to provide. So thank you for doing what you're doing.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Like, like you said, it's fun to have a fellow anatomy nerd to just talk it all out about. And, um, yeah, like you said, it really has become a passion of mine and I know there's such a need for it. And, um, as much as I want to help, you know, every kid or adult or whoever who needs it myself, um, I also feel a bigger calling to really just spread, spread the information about it because there is so much misinformation and, and it's so such a vast and broad topic that it really can be, um, so overwhelming.
0: you enjoyed listening to our conversation as much as I enjoyed talking with Kayla about all of these things. She is a wealth of knowledge and I'm sure we could have talked for longer. My top takeaways from this episode are one, not every provider knows what to look for or how to appropriately diagnose a tie. It's important to trust your gut and seek out providers with more education surrounding this topic and two, the prehab and the post-op therapy is crucial for giving your child the best chance at improving their feeding, swallowing, talking, and even sleeping. Please remember that what you hear on this podcast is not medical advice, but rather more information to help you make informed decisions about healthcare for you and your family. If you feel inclined, it helps other people to find the show if you give it a five-star rating in your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much for listening.